broadcasting live worldwide. We are taking over your airwaves in three, two, one, 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 one. Ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Binge Buster Show, coming to you live this week from, uh, we're like Starcade, man. We're, we're coming to you live from three different locations. We're coming to you from Mooresville, Morganton, and Charlotte. Uh, right now, I want, without any further ado, before we get the show started, I want to bring on my two co-hosts. I'm talking about gorgeous Jeff Patton and Chris Plano. Guys, what is going on? Tony, it's great to be here. I, I, I want to apologize right off the bat with you and Jeff. I know I've been MIA the last couple of weeks, but I am so excited about this episode tonight and uh, glad to be back with you all and uh, ready to rock and roll this tonight. Jeff, what's going on? How, how How's your week been? Oh, crazy as usual. Uh, getting ready for Thanksgiving. It's a couple weeks away, so uh, you know how it is in my business. It gets a little little dicey little so, i understand and, yeah and chris yeah. no no reason to apologize man i know you, you've been out taking care of things for the binge buster show uh and getting all of our ducks in a row and fans uh, i've got a major announcement here tonight on the binge buster show uh the week of thanksgiving uh mark it on your calendars because we are going to have a double episode week that week uh our binge buster show will all will air uh, normally, uh, on Wednesday night, just like always the, 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 the show will drop on Wednesday nights, but on Thanksgiving day to stay entered in the tradition of Starcade, uh, we are going to be breaking down the best Starcade, uh, in the history of Starcades. We're not going to tell you what that Starcade is, but you are going to have to tune in on Thanksgiving day to find out, uh, Jeff and, and Chris and myself, all three sat down and we decided that this Starcade that we're going to be doing on Thanksgiving Day uh, is all three of our favorites. So you know it's got to be good if all three guys says that this is the best Starcade or their favorite Starcade. Right, guys? Oh, a- absolutely. I, I believe hand, hands down on this end. Yeah, exactly. And you can talk to any person that's actually wrestled. We, we've all been in the ring. We know, you know, we know without a doubt that this one was the best one. This was the, the biggest one and uh, had the best matches and everything. So can't wait for that on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, that one's going to be so much fun. Uh, Chris, I know uh, in, in the weeks that uh, that uh, Jeff and I have missed you, uh, I know uh, some of the things that Jeff and I have talked about, uh, I know a lot of it, a lot of it you, you feel the same on. Uh, the Binge Buster Show this week, guys, for the, the our people listening, uh, for the last few weeks, we've all been on pins and needles uh, trying to figure out what's going on with the politics in the world. Um, but tonight on the Binge Buster Show, we are live on the Podbean app. And, uh, of course, uh, you can still listen to this show on your favorite podcast platform. Um, but uh, we're not going to be talking any politics tonight other than wrestling politics. Um, but, uh, guys, uh you know, the last couple of weeks we've uh, talked about a couple of starcades. We've uh, last week uh, we uh, talked um, uh, 
Starcade 86, the Skywalkers, Chris. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to touch on that just a little bit before we get into our show this week. Uh, what was one of your favorite matches or your favorite match uh, from Starcade 86, the Skywalkers? I, I mean, I think for me, you know, and I know I, it was a great episode, you know, last week you all put together, but I think for me, you know, I think for me it was just the illusion of the Skywalker match to an extent, you know, kind of like it probably was, by far was not the greatest match on the show, but, but for me, it was like, okay, this is something different. Right. And for those guys to get up there, I mean, putting their practically almost their careers on the line and, you know, 25 feet above the ring and uh, Jim Cornette even hurting himself that particular evening as well. You know, that's for me, you know, Again, I was only 15 years old back then, so for me, it was like, okay, wow, this is something great and different. Yeah, um, I loved, I loved the aura of Starcade '86. Um, you know, the Night of the Skywalkers. They, they, they painted a picture and made you really believe that somebody was going to die that night. You know, you know, and and Cornette almost did. I mean, he blew out both both knees. Um, but man, what a what a tremendous card! Uh, Starkid eighty six was, and uh, tonight we're going to be talking the original, the the very first um, Starcade. I'm talking about Starcade eighty three, a flare for the gold. Uh, Jim Crockett Promotions was really starting to take off. Dusty Rose was coming in as the new Booker. Uh, a lot of exciting matches. Uh, a lot of the old timers were there, and I like the way that they done the promos on this show. Um, it wasn't very flashy. It was like right in your face. Okay, this is serious. This is what's happening. We're all training hard, and and it it was it was a great show. Um, but before we get to that show, we got a a sponsor this week. Uh, Chris and Jeff, I know you, you know you know about these guys very well. Um, the PWF. Uh, professional wrestling federation that ran in the late 80s early 90s uh ran by the italian stein and george south um there's a dvd out now telling the story uh by the people who actually lived that lived through that story um i'm talking about and a lot of people are, are surprised but they have got interviews with george south and the italian stallion uh you know you hear from the wrestlers but you also hear from the from the promoters themselves uh, so you, you you get a you get you get a glimpse into behind the curtain, so to speak, of the PWF. Um, but right now we're gonna go to that commercial break, and when we come back. We're gonna be talking Starcade '83, a flare for the gold. The Professional Wrestling Federation was created in the late '80s by Tyus Stein and George South. This is a story of two journeymen who created their own territory in the days of mainstream pro wrestling. The stars of the PWF not only competed on the independent circuit, but they were also enhancement talent for World Championship Wrestling and the World Wrestling Federation. The PWF was not without controversy, from the booking fee they charged the wrestlers to the stigma of PWF standing for Please Wrestle for Free. The PWF was also known for helping create some of the biggest stars in pro wrestling, including Henry Godwin, R-Truth, Men on a Mission, and Little Nate Charles Robinson, and many more. Learn the impact the PWF had on the early stage of independent wrestling from the wrestlers and owners themselves. This is a story you've been waiting to hear, but thought you never would. 
This two-disc set is loaded with matches and bonus material. So don't hesitate. Get your copy today before it sells out. Starcade 83, a flair for the gold, was the first annual Starcade event held by Jim Crockett Promotions. The event took place November 24, 1983 at the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina and was broadcast on closed circuit television all around the southern United States. Eight big matches were featured on the card. The main event, a flair for the gold as Nature Boy Ric Flair challenged NWA World Heavyweight Champion Harley Race. This is a story of Starcade 83. All right, fans, we're back here on the Binge Buster Show. Guys, Starcade 83, a flare for the gold. 15,447 people in attendance at the Greensboro Coliseum to see this historic event. Guys, what are your memories of this? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, for for me, Tony, this was you know Ric Flair's opportunity in the spotlight. I mean, his name was in the title of this event in Greensboro, in his backyard, right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, going up against Harley Race one on one in the cage from Kansas City, Missouri. I, it doesn't get any, any better than that. And, and, and from top to bottom, you know, a, a stellar show for the NWA, but, but without a doubt, eight great matches on this show. But, you know, it really, in my mind, was all about the main event. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody was, uh, everybody had paid their money to come and see this. And, you know, uh, rumor has it that a heart, that um, Vince McMahon uh, was going to pay Harley Race a, a substantial amount of money to not even make this show. Um, but Harley Race, being an NWA guy, uh, he came. And, and I think Harley Harley was even sick that day, running a fever. Uh, but he was determined to make this uh, event a, a, uh, a success. And not only that, but I believe that there was actually a snowstorm going on during this time uh, in Greensboro as well. So there, there was a lot of stuff that could have prevented this uh, Starcade from even getting off the ground. But um, think about this for a minute. In 1983, Starcade sold out attendance in Greensboro Coliseum. 15,447 fans paid to, to, to enter the Greensboro Coliseum with a gate of $500,000. Um, you know, of course, back then, I'm sure tickets were only like 10 or 20 bucks a piece. But, um, but even at at, the, at this time, nineteen eighty three, five hundred thousand dollars—that's a lot of money for a wrestling event. And just think, that's just the gate at the Coliseum. Just imagine the money they made off of the closed circuit uh, location. Exactly. You know, they had to pay to, to go in there. So, I mean, they had to have made, you know, probably a couple million dollars. Oh yeah, easily. Of, you know, the, yeah, easily. I mean, just depending on how many closed circuits and. You know, all sitting here thinking about it, you know, guys, we were lucky to grow up when we were all teenagers in the 80s to see wrestling like this back then. And the 
the storylines. It's like almost every match on this card had a storyline. It was a feud uh, leading up to each match at this event, and it just was, you know, just a way to settle the feud, uh, more or less. Right, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at the, the lineup from top to bottom, you know, you have, you know, you know, wrestlers on this show that were, you know, you know, the start of their career or in their prime. You even have some wrestlers that are even somewhat, you know, in their final years of their, their career. When I look at the Briscoes on the show. You know, they kind of stick out. So, I mean, really from top to bottom, and, and, and for Flair at this point, you, you know, with this particular pay-per-view and, and going forward, you know, this was the future of the NWA and where it was going and, and, and the world title and, and, and the vision of where Jim Crockett Promotions wanted to take it, you know, moving forward. I, I believe absolutely. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, if you go back and watch some of these matches, man, um, you know, all these matches were, were top-notch uh, uh, events, um, you know, the, the, I went back and watched it, uh, you know, a couple of days ago to kind of just refresh my memory, uh, on this great event, but you got the assassins, uh, you know, they were just starting to come into the, uh, to the Crockett territory and starting to really, you know, uh, make a name for themselves. And of course they, they were involved in, the, uh, later on in a feud in 84 with, uh, with, um, Jimmy Valiant that would just blow up Crockett promotions. But, at this time, here they are with, with their manager, Paul Jones, taking on Rufus R. Freight Train Jones, who was the NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Champion, and Bugsy McGraw. This match goes 8 minutes and 11 seconds. But, man, uh, what, a, what a great match to, to get uh, Starcade started. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, um, man, Bugsy McGraw and Rufus R. Jones. Rufus was very popular. Uh, back in those days, and uh, man, the assassins, and of course, I mean, Paul Jones is their manager. I mean, that's automatic. Uh, um, crap, you get crap from the crowd, poor old Paul Jones. Uh, but yeah, man, the assassins were a great tag team. Uh, Jody Hamilton, and of course, the other one was uh, Hercules. Yeah, and you know, guys, I'm really, I'm really surprised during this time um, that 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 the assassins were not the world tag team champions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the assassins, I mean, you know, for me, you know, when I, you know, when I remember the assassins, I mean, they always had this, just this mystique about them. I I mean, just from their demeanor in the ring, both in and out of the ring and, and just in general, yes, they could have been world tag team champions without a doubt, but, you just never knew what, what was going to come next from them. And, you know, they, they were a threat every time they, they, they stepped in the ring, no matter what who. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, they, they, and, and like I said, you know, the next year in 84, um, is, is when you're going to really see the assassins really make a name for themselves here in Crockett promotions as when, as they start their feud with probably at this time, guys, the most popular wrestler, uh, and the Crockett promotions from like 83 to like 85 when Rock and Roll Express came in. But man, Jimmy Valiant was over like Rover. Yeah, he definitely was. And, 
the fact that the Assassin you're talking about, I mean, I, did, I don't even think they were the Mid Atlantic Tag Team Champions, were they? No, 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 no. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I yeah, cannot believe. Yeah, that, that's what, that's the one thing I couldn't believe was the fact that 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 you know they were involved in these really hot feuds, you know, with Jimmy Valiant and guys here in the Mid Atlantic, but they never held a title. But they had so much heat, they didn't really need a belt to do that, which which was which was really you know, remarkable. Um, our next match is probably the only time, uh, you know, this is me. I wish I'd seen him a lot sooner because I've, I've heard stories. My father used to always tell me how, how great Johnny Weaver was. But in the second match on Starcade, we got Johnny Weaver and Scott McGee taking on Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin with uh, their manager, Gary Hart. Uh, this match uh, is is nuts. Uh, of course, because Sullivan's in there. Um, but uh, the, the match ends... Uh, when uh, when Scott McGee uh, is, is, he gets lacerated uh, across his forehead with a foreign object provided by Gary Hart, and of course Angelo Mosca comes in uh, to uh, help uh, you know help to help uh, Scott McGee, uh, who but but then he was also attacked. So uh, Ke- Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin they had some heat on them guys. Oh, absolutely, and. You know, as I look at this show, you know, I, I actually realize there's actually half of the show was tag team matches. Oh yeah, which is kind yeah. Of, oh, that's and, pretty heavy. And one of and one of the other things, guys, I want I want to uh, let, let, have you guys look at um, the first match. Not so much, but from the second match all the way to the last match, by the time we get to the main event, that Carolina blue canvas has got some red stains on it, guys. That is the yeah. That's the thing, man. I mean, back in these days, wrestling was so believable, and I think that's why it got so popular is because people actually believed it. And when you saw blood, that's believable. I mean, you know, and now it's to the point where you can't do that anymore, pretty much. And I think it's ruined the business, in my opinion. Uh, but man, this Mark Lewin. I was he he him and Kevin Sullivan. I mean, you talking about two two people that are deranged. Uh, I mean, that's the, pretty much the best word you can come up with. I mean, if if I you know I was really good at coming up with teams when I was a promoter, their their names, and I know I come up with quite a few of the the tag teams we had in in my promotion, and. I mean, man, I would call these guys the deranged duo or something, man. I mean, because, right. I mean, these two are crazy. I mean, and um, they it seemed like um, they attacked uh, Angela Mosca Jr., and he left the territory. They attacked him, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And then, uh, uh, then they do the same to Scott McGee and uh, – Put a big old uh, mess, uh, mess of blood on his forehead. Or, and then, or, uh, well, remember they had that thing they they call it the golden spike. Yeah, the golden spike. The golden yep. spike. That was it, uh, man. But I, you know, but again, you know, this this right here shows you that Dusty's starting to book uh, for here because here here we got Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin who were coming right in from Florida, which is where Dusty came from. Uh, so he was getting some of his Florida crew. Uh, to come in and help back this Jim Crockett promotions and get it really cooking. Um, and I think Starcade 83 was definitely a step um, uh, in the right direction. Um, now we move on to our third match on the card. Another crazy bloodbath. Um, Abdul the Butcher taking on Carlos Colon. 
Um, this match goes only four minutes and 30 seconds, but that's all we needed because, man, it was a bloodbath. I mean, I think, I think, I think uh, they might have been bleeding on their way to the ring uh, for this one. I'm not really, Man. not really sure. But I mean, four minutes thirty seconds. I mean, you know, Abby had plenty of brawls with Carlos Colon. You know, back in his, you know, the, the Puerto Rico stints and, and things like that. I mean, definitely no strangers in the ring to each other. And uh, um, you, you know, but but Abby was doing a lot of work at this time. You know, with with the NWA. You know, even for several years past this. So, you know. It fits, it worked, but again, probably four or five minutes, probably long enough for this match, as there was obviously much more important business to be taken care of as the night went on. Yeah. Now, now, Chris, whenever you, you were booking uh, NDW, um, mm-hmm. I, I know that uh, you that you brought in Abby a lot on your on your shows, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Numerous times, yeah. yeah. I remember one time I was on on a card with uh with when Ken was booking still it wasn't it wasn't NDW yet, uh but uh Ken Spence had Abdul the Butcher there and Abby was doing the quarter trick and is it now anybody know what the quarter trick is? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeff, I'm hurt. Tell, I'm hurt. Jeff, tell the listeners at home about Abdul the Butcher's quarter trick. Okay, he has. The scars are so deep in his head that he could actually take quarters and put them on his forehead, and they will stay. Is that correct? That what I'm? That, that's yes, the story that's I heard. Yes, that, that's correct. true. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah they okay. will they will stay in his head, and just you know all the the, the war wounds, the scars. I mean, you name it. It's it's across from one temple to the other, and uh, um, yeah, it's some. <laughs> it's crazy. It's some stuff. It's nuts, that's for sure. Um, but but Abby Abby was a great guy. I, 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 super nice guy. Completely different than the character he plays on television. Uh, in real life, uh, the times I met him, he, he was very nice and humble. Um, now going to this next match. Now this is a match that I was I was very uh, excited to see, and I went back and watched it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but you got a, a couple tough guys in this in this match. Uh, I'm talking about Bob Orton Jr. and Dick Slater taking on Mark Youngblood and Chief Wahoo McDaniel. Um, this match goes 14 minutes, 48 seconds, and, uh, man, it is a barn burner. Um, well, you know, Jeff and I kind of touched base a few weeks ago about how tough Wahoo McDaniels was, but I, I think a lot of people don't don't know how tough Dick Slater was. Oh, yeah one of the toughest in the business, uh, you know, both in and out of the ring. I mean, a- absolutely. And, you know, I look at, you know, some of these names, you know, Bob Orton Jr. I see Roddy Piper later on in the show as well. Uh, you know, Greg Valentine, you know, definitely before, you know, their runs in the WWF later on in the, in the mid to late eighties. But uh, what, what another great match. I mean, you know, absolutely. No, you got, you got some talent in the ring here and uh, you know, and, and and Wahoo as well. I mean, I mean, what else do you want? I mean, you're just going to get a, an entertaining match. But Dick Slater was a tough cookie. Yeah, uh, guys, I want to tell you a funny story about Dick Slater uh, that that someone told me. Said back in the '80s, probably around this time, you know. Um, but anyway, they were at a bar, um, and uh, these guys were trying to uh, test Dick Slater. And, uh, of course, Dick's just not, he's not having no part of it. He's just, you know, trying to blow him off. He's just there to have a, have a few drinks and go on about his way. 
And uh, and Flair was there, of course. And so Ric Flair says, okay, I, it looks like it might get a little hot in here. I'm going to leave. So Ric Flair goes to leave. And uh, Dick Slater is like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come with you. And they go to leave, and which is a big mistake because all those guys that was in the bar trying to start trouble with Dick Slater and them, uh, they followed him out there. Well, these guys jump on Dick Slater and Ric Flair. And then word gets out in the bar to Wahoo that these guys are in there beating up Dick Slater and Ric Flair in the parking lot. So Wahoo runs out there. Of course, one of the guys sees Wahoo coming. Well, Wahoo used to carry a little Derringer in his pocket. And so these guys start bum-rushing Wahoo. Of course, that's the, that's the dumbest thing you ever do because Wahoo is so bad too. And so Wahoo ends up punching one of the guys, pulling out his pistol, and goes to hit the guy in the head. And when he hits it, the gun goes off, and he shoots Dick Slater in the leg. Oh, my God. So not only did Dick, not only was Dick getting beat up in the parking lot, now he gets shot by Wahoo. Now, I don't know how much truth is to that story, but I had a, a very famous Mid-Atlantic wrestler tell me this story, so I have to believe it's true. Um, but uh, And, and they, they told me, he said, if you go back and watch, Dick Slater kind of always limped when he came in the ring, and he was doing that to rib Wahoo. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, I thought that was pretty uh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wahoo and Mark Youngblood, I mean, uh, a great tag team. Wahoo, we've, well, I mean, we've talked about him, man. I mean, just one of the toughest guys in, that's ever been in wrestling. And uh, Bob Orton and Dick Slater, um, if I'm not – if I can remember correctly, um, Bob Orton was uh, – on the good side, and uh, the bounty was put up on Ric Flair, and then uh, Slater and Orton. Orton turned on Ric Flair. They were friends or whatever. If I'm not mistaken, that's how that happened. Right. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, Bob Orton, um, very, very underrated. I always thought he was an underrated wrestler. He was a great wrestler. Uh, never did get, you know, the big pushes and the big titles and and the big title shots that a lot of the other guys uh, got that uh, back in those days. But a uh, great wrestler. And of course, Dick Slater, um, another another good, tough wrestler. Uh, I put him in that category with uh, Wahoo and uh, Harley Race and Greg Valentine and just hard-nosed wrestlers back in those days. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, now, now, Chris, uh, during the NDW days, I know, you, I know you booked Wahoo a lot, correct? Yeah, I booked Wahoo a good number of times. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember. It seems like I remember you had him on the show one time, and it was Wahoo against the Barbarian, and they beat their their self. <laughs> they 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 uh, were in the ring five minutes. The rest of the match was was all through the through through the crowd. Is that right? <laughs> It was pretty much, yeah, absolutely. And uh, hey, but that's what the fans wanted. They get, you know, these guys they give the fans what they wanted. I mean, you know, and and you know, you're gonna get in the ring with Wahoo. You're gonna, you, know, you never know what's gonna happen. But and, and and Barb, you know, he's not gonna give too much either, um, you know, as well. So and you don't want him to. So I mean, at the end of the day, hey, but Wahoo very well respected in the locker room by all the all the guys and. Uh, you know, a lot of people calling him dad and this and that and, and, and just the stories and the respect. 
um, you, you know, and, 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 and just so reliable as well. And, uh, you know, you just can't talk well enough about the guy. And, uh, you know, even after his NWA days, did great things on the independent scene too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he was, he was, he was, he, he was a man's man, as everybody says. Um, a lot of yeah, the guys uh, I, had tremendous respect for Wahoo. Yeah, I had him booked uh, one time. It was after his wrestling career. He uh, well, booked him one year and uh, for the fair, Burke County Fair. And, yeah, he was just a really great guy. And, uh, you know, I come up with the, the idea for him to get involved in the main event, and, man, crowd loved it. And mm-hmm. uh, I was there that night. Um, I remember. Yeah, he yeah he ended up throwing the chops on the the heel tag team, and man, the place went crazy for him. So yeah, that was really great. Yeah, and, uh, and, and he enjoyed that nice part guy. too. Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Now uh, the oh, next yeah. our, our next match uh, on Starcade '83 is for it's a mask versus NWA television title. Uh, as we've got the Charlie Brown from out of town taking on the great Kabuki with Gary Hart. And guys, when Jimmy Vallette put on the Charlie Brown hood and he came out to coasters, Charlie Brown, I, I, I thought I was going to lose it, but that gimmick got over like, like nobody's business. Oh, absolutely. If there's anyone that could reinvent themselves or put a gimmick on and, and work it for the fans, it, it's got to be Jimmy Valiant, hands down. And, uh, um, and, and, and Kabuki, I mean, you know, get in the ring with him and the, the green mist and just the mystique of him and Gary Hart. And, you know, you know, it's, it, it's going to be a match and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, a, and a great time to, to be promoting the NWA TV championship as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, I got I got to tell you guys a funny story about the Charlie Brown gimmick, okay? So back in two thousand one, I was working for this for this promotion, and um and I was kind of helping helping the the promoter. His name was Kurt Solo, good friend of mine. Um, but he was he was doing these Sunday night uh, little events there in Thomasville, and he's packing the place out every week. You know, he he had a great following. Um, but anyway, one day we get this idea. He and I, you know, a lot of times he, he also made wrestling gear. So I'd go over while he's making gear and just, we would just talk. And I was kind of burnt out on my wrestling career at the time. I was going through a divorce, I had a lot going on in my life and I was going to quit wrestling. I told him, I said, you know, um, I said, you know, I was on the road a lot and, uh, you know, I'd done some, some crazy things and now I'm going through a divorce and, and, and it's wrestling's fault. You know, I'm just being stupid. Right. And he's like, no, dude, you can't leave wrestling. You're, you're, you know, you, you are my star and I need you to help me create these other stars. And I, I, and you can't leave me yet. I'm like, I was like, I just don't have it in me. Like, I don't, I don't have it in me anymore. I'm burnt out. I just need a break. He said, fine, I'll give you a break. This is what I want you to do. I want you to book Jimmy Valiant to come in and work for us. He goes, and I'm I'm going to put you as his partner. I'm like, I'm a heel. He goes, not anymore. You're not. You're going to be a you. You're going to be the biggest baby face I got. And I got this idea. How about you? You uh, you come in. You um you you you're in a match. You lose. Loser leaves. 
you know, loser leaves town. You're gone, right? You come back the next week and tell everybody, hey, um, I want to thank everybody. I know all the times I, you know, I wasn't always a fan favorite, but now I am, and I've, I try to do things the right way. And now Kurt Solo has has done, you know, he's, he's come up with this with this with this thing, and he cheated. But unfortunately, I'm a man of my word, and I am going to leave, you know, the wrestling promotion because the people are going to feel sorry for you. He goes and. You don't come back the next week because he, he was running shows every single Sunday. So he says, you come out and, and and do your farewell speech. You walk out the door and you leave. Next week, you're not here. He said, the next week, uh, we're going to be out here and me and my partner are going to be jumping on uh, another team. And this music's going to hit. You're going to come out and clear house and the place is going to go nuts. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? He goes, you're going to be Charlie Brown. I said, oh, come on, man. No, there's no way. He goes, dude, he's like, you got the boogie gimmick down, Pat. All you got to do is put the Charlie Brown hood on, and it's going to be crazy. And then we'll bring Boogie in, and then you and him will have a match. And if they and if you guys beat us, then Terrific Tony gets reinstated, and you come back, and we just keep running. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, guys, that was what I needed at the time to get, you know, get my head cleared out. But let me tell you what. I put everything in my in my being into getting that gimmick over, and it was so crazy because in two thousand one the internet wasn't it, it wasn't or when I say internet the wrestling internet wasn't that big yet it was it was it was starting to bloom but it wasn't that big yet, but we did that gimmick and he put it on online and people from all over were emailing him going, dude who's doing the Charlie Brown gimmick because that. That's so crazy. I remember that. And it brought back all these memories. But the bad thing was, you know, there's always some crap in wrestling. Uh, there was some behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Um, and so we did the Charlie Brown gimmick for a while. I did the Charlie Brown gimmick for a while. And then uh, we decided to um, to have another match prior to Boogie coming in. And in that match, uh, Charlie Brown... Uh, and terrific Tony, we put the hood on somebody else, and I came out as his partner. We won. I get reinstated. I'm back. Come back the next week, and now Jimmy Vyatt's there, and now it's time for me to go back to the old Tony. And, of course, I turn on Boogie. And, guys, this is the first time I had so much heat that a, a fan pulled a knife on me. But I wasn't like Roddy Piper. I didn't say, well, come on, man. Give me, come on up here. I saw the knife, and I went the other way. <laughs> but... <laughs> But it was so crazy how that Charlie Brown gimmick got over. Um, and then, of course, the the guy now that, that runs uh, here in the Carolinas, he runs the, the Jimmy Vallette gimmick, uh, now uh, Rob McBride. Um, he came in as the new Charlie Brown as a special guest referee. And, of course, we still got Charlie Brown and Jimmy Vallette in the same match. But but it was it was a fun time. But, man, that Charlie Brown gimmick was so over, it, it, it was crazy. But it was easy to do. You just I, I just put the hood on and I act like Jimmy Valiant, which I could do. But um, but but, but get yeah, back to Starcade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to do the lead-up to what happened for this, this feud so the, the fans understand what happened. Yeah. Uh, Kabuki was the TV champion, and um, he was managed by Gary Hart, and uh, so – uh, Jimmy Vatt was feuding with him, and finally it was time. To, okay, we're gonna have a loser leave town, and Jimmy Vatt lost, so he had to leave town. So then he comes back as Charlie Brown, and I, you know, and Gary Hart is pitching an immortal fit, 
you know, he's like, that, that is obvious. He even got Jim Crockett. I remember the interview where he got Jim Crockett out there and he's complaining and Jim Crockett said, look, if you pull the mask off and you prove it as Jimmy Valiant, you know, you know, we'll do whatever to, to Jimmy Valiant. And uh, he says, well, by the way, we have a videotape. And I remember the videotape had Charlie Brown doing an interview and then Jimmy Vallette comes in and does side by side with him. And it was one of the moon dogs that was dressed as Charlie Brown. And it was so funny because you, you could tell it wasn't Jimmy Vallette doing the Charlie Brown, but it was just so funny. And then of course, they did the match at Starcade, and uh, Charlie Brown, a.k.a. Jimmy Vallette, got his revenge on Kabuki and won the Mid-Atlantic Television title. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and fans, uh, uh, and Chris, uh, some of you people yep. at home that may, that may not remember this, I have the clip right here of Jimmy Vallette and Charlie Brown. Here it is. A lot of controversy that Charlie Brown and Jimmy Vallette are one in the same. Well... Right here, we have a tape which shows them both. We're going to show you they're two different people, and we want you to watch this interview right here. Charlie Brown and Jimmy Valiant fans. Here's the boogie woogie man. Charlie Brown from out of town. Listen to me, baby. Boogie woogie hell. You know something, Gary Hyde? You're the one that stole them tapes. You're the one that I beat. You're supposed to left town. But that's cool, Daddy. People, brothers and sisters, listen at the boogeyman. Trust Charlie Brown. I know he's cool, Daddy, because I met him in jail. <laughs> Charlie Brown and me were just alike, Daddy. The only difference between Charlie Brown and the boogeyman is Charlie Brown. He's ugly. That's why he's got to wear this mask. Charlie Brown is very tough, though, Daddy. Don't you think he's not, Jack? Listen to me, Gary Hart. A lot of controversy. <laughs> there it is, guys. I mean, that was so. Uh, <laughs> I love that, Jeff. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, but yeah, he had Moondog Rex out there dressed up like Charlie Brown wearing a Charlie Charlie Brown hood, and he was out there. You know, he had no no charisma, no nothing. And uh, of course, here comes the boogie out. But man, I, I I love that gimmick. But the the great Kabuki was he he, he was awesome too. Absolutely. I mean, Kabuki was his skill level in the ring was unbelievable. I mean, you never knew just the mystique about him, even in his, his days at World Class Championship Wrestling in Texas as well. Um, you, you know, with the Von Eriks and, and just a, a, across the board. I mean, but I, I, you know, when I when I when I listen to Jimmy Valiant and Jeff might agree with me, I'm not sure, but still passionate on the microphone. I oh mean, yes. Everything coming out of him is emotion. Passion, revenge, and, and it's believable to the point where it's personal, you know, with him. And, and, and Jimmy was just great at drawing those fans in and drew a lot of money for the NWA with these feuds that, you know, you know Jimmy, yeah, he, was he semi-main? Was he underneath that? Certainly. Was he ever main, main event? No, but, but the storylines worked. And it, it, it works so well that the people just drew to him and, and just having the valiant name, you, you know, was just, you know, added to it as well. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, a tremendous, um, I mean, 
Boogie was was so far beyond his time during during this this, this tenure. Um, now, I will tell you guys another story that about this Starcade '83. So originally, Jimmy Vatt was actually going to leave Crockett Promotions um, for the first time ever in the history of wrestling. Okay, Jimmy Vatt was so over; he was over in Crockett, but back in Memphis with Jerry Lawler, he was even more over. Right? So, um, so he he's working for Crockett. And Jerry Lawler and um, had called him up and said, "Listen," and uh, and Jerry Jarrett said, uh, "Listen, listen, Jimmy." Of course, they called him handsome. Handsome, listen, we need you to come back and work for us. What's it going to take to get you to come back? And Boogie said he told him that he he came up with an idea because they were so good to him he didn't want to tell him, "No, I'm not coming. I'm not going to do that." So he said, "I'll tell you what. This is what I'll do to come back." If you buy me a house, move my family to back to Memphis, then I'll give Crockett my, my notice. The very next day, Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett called Boogie and said, hey, come down to the office. We need to talk. Boogie goes down to the office, and they give him keys to a house and a car. All right, Boogie, we gave you your house. Now you need to go, get, you need to go, go give Crockett your notice. So he says, okay, I'll do it. And right when he goes back to give Crockett the, the notice, that's when Crockett told him, hey, I got this great uh, thing. I'm going to put the TV title on you. I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And Boogie's like, okay, I love it. But uh, we we uh, this, is what, this is what I need you to do. I, I got to go back and work. I, you know, I got to go back and, and do this thing with, with uh, Lawler and him. I promised him I'd do that. He said, okay. So they so that that's when he did the Loser Leaves Town so he'd go back and work for Memphis because he thought that would be – he he thought he was gonna stay in Memphis, but once he got down there, and now now they 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 made these plans for Starcade. Boogie said the, that the worst thing he, that he 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 ever had to, the worst decision he ever had to make was going and telling um, Jerry Lawler, "Hey, listen, I appreciate you buying me the house and the car, but I'm going back to work for Crockett." <laughs> you know, but he said years later, you know, Jerry uh, Jerry Lawler and all of them they they understood because they 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 knew Boogie would would. would you know he's gonna have an, another run, a very successful run, and definitely, probably his it was definitely his last run with Crockett Promotions, and without a doubt, because of World Championship Wrestling and and WTBS, Boogie became a tremendous star. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, and that's a great story. <laughs> that's yeah. an awesome story. Not, not. I don't think too many guys can tell that kind well, of story no that, and that that, no right? you're right chris that's what boogie said boogie said i can't tell you any wrestler that i've ever met that the promoter wanted him so bad he bought him a house right <laughs> you know that that's unheard of because back then half the time they they uh, couldn't even give him a promoter couldn't he couldn't even give him a, a guaranteed pay it was like whatever the gate draws then we give you a percentage of that you know there, there was right. no contracts back then it was how how hard you worked and and how many bucks you put in the seat? That's 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 going to determine how much money you make. Um, but I know we we, we kind of got off on a rant and uh, kind of get off subject about the Stark at eighty three. But but man, Jimmy, next next you know next week's podcast, I know we'll we'll talk more about Jimmy Vac because he was a major player uh, in Crockett Promotions from eighty three to eighty seven. So uh, we'll have a lot a lot more Jimmy Vac stories. And of course, I'm kind of I'm, I'm a little. Um, 
because I have more Jimmy Vatt stories because I've spent more time around Jimmy Vatt than any other star in the NBA. But uh, but he's a great guy. I mean, he's, he's worked for me. He's worked for Jeff. He's worked for Chris. I mean, we we all have, everybody's got a boogie story, you know. Um, but anyway, now getting back to Starcade, uh, the next match was um, was a match that that uh, even Jim Crockett uh, he he told him so guys if we do you know when come with this match it's got to be a match that nobody's ever seen and it's it's got to be it's got to live up to the name and Roddy Piper taking on Greg the Hammer Valentine in the first ever dog collar match uh Piper even years later said that, that him and Valentine beat each other so bad with that chain that even sometimes Piper had had a hard time hearing Yeah, I can imagine. Um I mean Roddy Piper Roddy Piper was so over. When he came to Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, he was a heel. And I will never forget it because he comes out there and he's wearing a kilt, which, you know, at the time, you know, we, you know, there was no internet. You know, our TV picked up four channels and, you know, you didn't see Scottish people on TV, you know, or, or whatever. And I didn't know their... And so he's wearing a kilt. And I remember my dad said, who's that, you know, gay guy or whatever. And, and I was wearing a, wearing a skirt. And then the dude comes out and plays bagpipes. Yeah. And I, you know, back then I was a kid and I, I always loved the baby face. I always, all of them. I always loved, but I loved Roddy Piper. I don't know why. Even when he was a heel, when he came in, I loved him. I just thought, man, this, it, I just thought it was so creative. You know, his whole persona, his whole gimmick. And I could do his laugh. And I'd go to school and do the laugh. And, man, people loved it. They used to come me, do Roddy Piper's laugh. Dude. And I'd do it perfect. And I can't do it now because my voice changed or whatever. But, you know, once it hit puberty. But, man, I used to have him rolling at school because I could do Roddy Piper's laugh. And I could do his interviews. And people loved it. And then, uh, man, I mean, the guy would, would get color from his ear. I mean, how many wrestlers would cut their ear to get heat? I mean, just none. Yeah. Um... No, no, not at all. And, and, hey, you know, when I look at someone like Roddy Piper, uh, you know, he was he was the guy you loved to hate in, in, in the ring. In, in a way, great on the microphone. Great ring persona, um, and, and he just knew how to push people's buttons at the end of the day, and you, you know, and uh, um, it, it, what a, what a great match with, with Greg Valentine, you know, in the ring with, with his skill set as well. Um, you know, it's interesting we're talking about this match because just a couple of weeks ago, on um, on on wrestling with with all elite wrestling, uh, Cody Rhodes was in a dog collar match, and he paid tribute to this particular match in the NWA and actually Greg Valentine was in the socially distanced crowd uh, at the show and um, it was a nice testament as, as a flashback that they're not forgetting you know where things originated come originated from and, and came from and that Greg Valentine was 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 there and uh, was witnessing you know a dog collar match today to what was back in the day. Yeah, 
Yeah, that yeah, that's definitely one of the things that that I I like about AEW is the fact that they they do pay homage to the to the people who um who who got who got us to where we are today. Um, uh, I, I was talking to, to to another friend earlier today, and I told him I said, man, I said, you know, if this COVID thing wasn't running wild, could you imagine how big AEW would be right now? Because their angles and the things they're doing. Is it reminds me so much of WCW. Yeah, yeah, and you know, talk about this dog collar match uh, again. I'll be kind of the okay. This is what happened to lead up to this. Um, Greg Valentine, of course, was the U.S. Heavyweight Champion, and during a match he had with Roddy Piper, um, he attacked Piper after the match and hit him in the ear with the U.S. heavyweight title and busted Piper's ear uh, open and uh, messed his hearing up in his ear and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, that led to the feud going to the dog collar match. And then, um, of course, the U.S. title was done on the line, but Roddy Piper ended up winning the dog collar match at Starcade. Mm-hmm. And And – it was a tremendous match, and and like I said, uh, I know uh, I saw interviews before Piper passed away, and he and he talked about that. He said, you know, him and Valentine made a pact with each other. They they said we're going to go out here and we are going to steal this show, and we're going to beat the crap out of each other, and and they definitely did that, uh, no doubt. Now uh, moving on to the our semi main event, uh, this match is for the NWA World Tag Team Titles. Uh, we got Angelo Mosca as a special guest referee, and we've got probably at this time the hottest tag team in Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood taking on the Briscoes, Jack and Jerry Briscoe. Um, this match goes 13 minutes and 24 seconds, and what a barn burner this match was! I mean, where where do you start? I mean, look at the. The talent you have in the ring and, 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 and the and the years of experience in the ring. I mean, it's uh, you know a great semi-main event. Great they're having the tag team you know championships as a semi-main for this particular match leading up to the main event here. And uh, I mean, you're just going to get a great match out of these four guys in the ring. And Angela Mosca is the referee as well, who who. Um, you know, also makes an appearance later on at the end of the main event as well. But what a great match. I mean, it's it, the Briscoes were legendary. I mean, even w- way before this time in, in professional wrestling, you know, overall. Yeah, and, and the Briscoe brothers were, were right up there with the Anderson brothers. I mean, they were, you know, a brother tag team that uh, that were legit wrestlers and could, could they, they 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 could they could suplex you listen the steiner brothers they but the steiner brothers had suplexes but brother back in the 80s if you put the steiner brothers up against the young of uh, the um uh the briscoes brother i don't know about that one yeah the the briscoe brothers technically were Suplex City before yes. Brock Lesnar came around. You got that right. I mean, man, those two guys were, they were incredible. And they, my dad still to this day, that was his, his favorite wrestlers were the Briscoe brothers. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I could understand why. And, of course, they were part Native American, and my dad was part Native American, too. I think that's why uh, as well. But um, talk about the other tag team. I absolutely 
loved Rick Steamboat and Jay Youngblood as a tag team. They were doing tag team moves. You know, to me, they were the first ones that did like the, the double team tag team moves. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and I, I absolutely loved them. They were the, the, this night they won the titles for the fifth time, uh, which was unprecedented at the time. Now the Rock and Roll Express owned the, you know, more times that I think the for what five or six, seven time champions now. But yep, uh, yeah. So, but man, and Jay Youngblood, uh, life lost too soon, and Rick Steamboat, one of the smoothest and greatest performers to ever grace the wrestling ring. I'm not saying the greatest. I'm just saying one of the, you know, I put him in my top five of, of greatest performers that's ever been in a wrestling ring because he was just so smooth and so, mm-hmm. and guy was so over, never was a heel, never was a heel. I mean, he had great matches. You, I mean, you think about it, his matches with Flair, his matches with, Randy Savage and WWF. I mean, they were incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Steamboat uh, and, and is. I mean, like you said, Jeff, he was definitely the the, the best baby face in, in the history of professional wrestling. Um, but but nobody. Well, let me say, besides me. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But seriously, nobody uh, can throw an arm drag better than Ricky Steamboat. And and I'll tell you. Um, one of the, and I'm not I'm not here blowing my own horn. I just want to say this, but one of the best compliments I ever got one night I was teaming with beautiful Bobby Eaton, and we were uh, working against George South and my cousin Mark in a tag match. And me and Mark used to do this uh, spot where you know he'd snatch a headlock and I'd shoot him off. He'd give me a tackle, drop down, crossover. Uh, I would hip toss him twice, and then I'd throw in a Ricky Steamboat arm drag. And when I did that. I looked over on the apron and Bobby Eaton was jumping up and down and like, you know, like, like a fan, you know? And, um, and he said, bring him over, give me a tag. I walk over and I go to tag him. And he said, uh, he said, um, brother, I thought I was tagging with Ricky Simba there for a second. And, but, 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 you know, to get a compliment like that from Bobby Eaton and and be compared to Ricky Steamboat, man, it was, it was such a great feeling. Yeah, he, uh, man, Bobby was a great guy as well. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk more about Bobby Eaton, uh, in the uh in the up upcoming um star case that we're going to be talking about. Uh, now, uh, before we get into the main event and discuss Ric Flair versus Harley Race, I want to touch on uh some of the other on screen personnel that was working Starcade '83. Of course, Jeff, our favorite ring announcer. Truck and Tom Miller is the ring announcer for Starcade. He announces all the matches. Uh, our commentator team is Bob Cottle, the voice of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, and Gordon Soley, the the voice of pro wrestling. Now, let me tell you something. JR, Tony Schiavone, uh, man, they're, they're, they're two of my favorite commentators, but nobody can describe a wrestling match better than Gordon Soley. Would you guys not agree? He was the man, wasn't he? Man, he, he, <laughs> they called he, him the Dean. I mean, they called him the Dean, no doubt about it. I mean, you, you all you could do, you mean Gordon Soley, you could just close your eyes and not even have to look at the screen. You know who's talking. I mean, literally, you did. <laughs> I mean, 
back he, in the day. You can sit on he, your couch, you close your eyes, and that's Gordon Soley on, on the on the microphone. I used to love hearing him talk because I'd say, that guy has got cigarette and whiskey voice. <laughs> His voice was so raspy. Uh, and uh, But, man, he, he, he knew how, like, you could like close your eyes, watch a wrestling match with with uh, with uh, Gordon Soley commentating, and you could see that match happen in your brain. But you you, you definitely wouldn't have to watch it on television because he, the way he called the match and explained move for move and how they did the reversals and and you know all that stuff, man, Gordon was awesome. And yeah, you had Bob Cottle. I love Bob Cottle as well. I mean, just. Oh yeah. Great, great guy. Great, uh, you know, knew the wrestling business, knew the moves. And here you've got the voice of Georgia championship wrestling with the voice of mid Atlantic championship wrestling. What a great combination. Yeah. Great combination. Now, um, we, we also had backstage interviewers. Uh, one, uh, I, I, she had to came from, um, Florida, but, uh, Barbara Cleary, uh, she, she interviewed a few guys, but this was, uh, Tony Schiavone's first, first outing with, uh, uh, mid Atlantic wrestling. They, they, they hired him to come in to do at the time he was doing baseball. They had him come in and, and, and do these interviews. And, um, uh, Rick Flair really liked him and I liked, liked the way, the way he presented himself. And so he got, he got the job. So, uh, uh, go Tony Schiavone, um, and then our referees, uh, a, couple, a couple old guys here, uh, Sonny Fargo and Stu Schwartz. Uh, we had those guys, but then we also had to- Tommy Young. He was starting starting to really come into his own here. Uh, and then we had a couple special guest referees, and Angelo Mosca and Gene Kanitsky. Uh Gene was the uh, special referee in the uh, main event, uh, but uh, which which is what we're about to get into now. St- uh, the the match that everyone came to see. Starkey 83. Uh, yeah, I made a rhyme there. I didn't even know it. But uh, Ric Flair challenging seven-time world's heavyweight champion Harley Race. Um, and uh, here we go with the uh, with the final match. Uh, this match uh, the goes 23 minutes, 49 seconds. Uh, both men beat each other to a bloody pulp. Flair's got, if you go back and look at some of the, 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 um, the pictures, uh, Flair had, definitely was wearing the crimson mask. Um, but this match, uh, all, you know, everything was on the line and it was basically Harley race passing the torch on to Ric Flair, um, to become two time world heavyweight champion. I mean, this was the match everyone came to see, obviously. And, uh, this was, I mean, if you're Harley race, you're coming from Kansas city out in the Midwest, you are coming in Flair country here into a hot Greensboro Coliseum packed to the rafters. I mean, but, hey, back then, the NWA title was defended anywhere, any place, any time against anyone. And it was Ric Flair's night. It was Ric Flair's moment. It was where the future of the where the NWA was heading. And... It was great timing for the NWA as well because there were great things to come way even beyond this particular pay-per-view. And uh, fitting that it was in Greensboro, North Carolina, um, you know, it easily could have been in Atlanta or Charlotte or somewhere else. But 
I believe it was in the right building at the right time. Yeah, it definitely uh, significant Ric Flair as a Carolina guy. I think right after this match, Ric, Ric Flair started saying he was from Charlotte, not from Minnesota. So, uh, uh, and, and of course, Flair is actually wearing Carolina blue uh, tights uh, or trunks in this match. So, uh, and of course, he had that beautiful robe uh, that that a friend of mine now owns. Um, so it, it's just a uh, just a beautiful um, a, a beautiful show. Great match, uh, and what a way to end um, uh, in, in in the show. And and I like the I like the fact that when Flair won. Uh, all the baby faces came out and congratulated him. And then even at the time, Flair, I think, had just married Beth. And she came into the ring and gave Flair a hug and a kiss. And, and it, it just it just gave it a more realistic feel that, that Flair had put everything on the line. And now, you know, here's his wife to say, hey, you, you did it, baby. Um, you know, look, looking at this card, man, there, there wasn't a bad match on, the, on this whole card. Yeah, let me real quickly – is, you know, build up for the main event that, you know, it wasn't a steel cage. And then, um, I thought talk, we talked earlier about, um, Bob Orton Jr. and Dick Slater. Uh, Harley Race had put a $25,000 bounty on Ric Flair because he didn't want to, he didn't want to have anything to do with Ric Flair. He didn't want to wrestle him anymore. And Flair was all over Harley Race, wanting the title, wanting the title, wanting the title shot. And, uh, so he put a 25, and Orton and Slater injured Flair. And they got the bounty money. And Flair, I remember they interviewed him at his house. He said he was done. He couldn't wrestle anymore. He was retiring. He was done. And then Flair changed his mind, comes in with a baseball bat, and <laughs> goes after Orton and Slater. Uh, yeah. I remember that on TV. That was awesome. But uh, And then, of course, the main event, uh, he wins the title. But... You know, really quick, you know, my thoughts on, on the show, and I want to let everybody understand this. Dusty Rose was the guy that come up with the name Starcade. He decided, hey, let's do, you know, Crockett had asked him, you know, Dusty, I'm wanting to do something big, and I need help. You know, what are your, you know, ideas? And Dusty came up with the idea of doing a big event, doing the closed circuit, um, because to me, I think the only big event they had had before was an event they had earlier in that year called the Final Conflict, where it was just a one-night wrestling event in Greensboro. Yeah. And so then I don't know. I guess Dusty was the one that came up with the closed circuit idea, I would say, but he came up with the Starcade name, and it was huge. And Dusty was in attendance that night. He didn't wrestle. He was just there in attendance. And then I think that's what won him the job as the booker. Um, but let me explain something to everybody. Starcade is the granddaddy of them all. If it wasn't for Starcade, there would have never been a WrestleMania. Exactly. WrestleMania didn't come along until 1995. The first Starcade was held in ni- um, 1985. The first Starcade was held in 1983. So remember that. WrestleMania is not the biggest and the grandest. Starcade is and always will be. 
And 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 that that's for sure. And and also the aftermath of Star K, we had a, a lot of things happen after Star K that a lot of people probably don't know about. Um, after so so basically Harley Race had been wrestling for over twenty years at this point. Uh, he was basically he was physically and emotionally just beat up. Uh, so he he decided he's going to take some time away from pro wrestling. So his loss to uh, at Starcade was seen pretty much as him passing the torch to Ric Flair uh, and kind of like his final match for a while. Um, but but during an international tour in early 84, without the approval of the NWA board of directors, Flair lost the NWA World Championship to Harley Race on March the 21st in Wellington, New Zealand, and then he won it back two days later um, in Singapore. Uh, now, this was done to increase the attendance at the, at the two events. And the title changes were never recognized by the NWA until years later. Now, Race did not ever win the title again. Um, but on May the 6th, Kerry Von Erich wins the world title from Ric Flair as a tribute to his brother David, uh, who had died in February. But then uh, uh, Kerry could not keep up with the, with the, uh, with the booking dates. And, of course, Kerry had some demons he was, he was trying to beat, too. So 18 days later, Flair wins the title back. Um, and then at the end of Starcade, uh, you see Dusty Rhodes come in and make the challenge to Ric Flair. Uh, he tells him, hey, brother, there's only two of us now. Uh, we both are two-time world champions, and uh, I want a shot at the belt. So that was kind of foreshadowing uh, what's going to happen at Starcade 84. Uh, that 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 turns out to be a uh, the million dollar challenge, Ric Flair taking on Dusty Rhodes, and I'm sure we'll touch base on that in the upcoming weeks. But guys, man, what a great podcast tonight! Uh, looking back over the years uh, and how much wrestling's changed, but at the same sense, uh, how much we we miss the the classic days. Man, this is a great time to be a. Uh a wrestling fan. And, and one thing I do want to add about this show, the NWA did, I was reading this, this pay-per-view did not go off immediately right after the main event. They did several locker room interviews on both sides with Harley and Flair and yes. celebrating. And this was a big deal for the NWA. This was a turning point of, you know, where do we go from here? And, and, and Rick Flair, establishing himself, not that he was not established, but even establishing himself further on the worldwide wrestling scene, internationally and worldwide. And this was a big deal for them, and I do agree with Jeff. Yes, Starcade did come two years before WrestleMania won and, and was really <laughs> the groundwork to what is wrestling today you know, where it has been and where it is today. And you could look at a, an event like this and be appreciative of an idea that Dusty Road had and, and what they did with it. Yeah. One, one of the things I like, I like so much about the Starcades back then is you had a year to build for this, for this event, you know, because 83 and 84, uh, we didn't have the great American bashes. We didn't have the bunkhouse stampedes. We didn't have, you know, any of the other pay-per-views, Starcade was all we had, and those wrestlers um, built these feuds for twelve months. And man, when Starcade came around, you could not wait to to see the the blow off. What what this is going to be it? You know, um, uh, talk, and I, I and I don't want to jump to another Starcade, but 
I will say this. Um, goes back to Starkid 85, the gathering when you had Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard. They were feuding for months over that United States title, and they come up with all kind of, you know, Tully always had, a, he was always one step ahead of Magnum, one step ahead, one step ahead. You know, Baby Doll uh, is barred from ringside. Well, then, okay, Magnum's going to win the belt tonight. And lo and behold, a security guard comes to the ring, and the, well, it's Baby Doll. So they built and built until finally Starkey 85 rolls around. Now uh, Magnum gets some uh, Tully to, uh, in to uh, sign the contract. I quit. No rules, uh, and man, you you cannot wait to see what happened. And those guys, just like Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine, they beat each other within a minute of their life. Uh, but they did it because they they the same thing. Jeff and Chris and I, we love the sport and we love wrestling, and we we put everything into it. And that's what these guys did. Now, I am never going to say I put anything in like these guys did because they I didn't. But man, they they really put everything they had out there uh, to make this to make this event memorable. And uh, you know, it's just like a horror movie, Jeff. You know, when uh, Friday Thirteenth came out, the first one came out, it was okay. But man, when the next one came out, it got a little better. But then when Jason got the hockey mask, man, it was over. He was he was off to the to the blockbuster. Uh, cash and checks and now man you know you knew who he was and that's and that's how these starcades were all right fans we're gonna uh leave on that i I think we're having technical difficulties but thank you for joining us for the binge buster show and we will see you next week on the binge buster show Thank you for listening to The Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform. 